Turn your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Deuteronomy, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn you and take your journey and go to the mount of the Amorites and unto all the places nigh thereunto in the plain, in the hills, and in the vale, and in the south, by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, and unto Lebanon, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them, and unto their seed after them. By the way, the land is salvation. The land is eternal life, not a piece of real estate. We possess the land when we become saved. There are battles to fight, not to gain, but to maintain our salvation, to prove that we are saved. Don't think that you promised your promised land like these people. It's a picture, as I was saying. These verses is where we will draw our message this evening. As we begin our series in the Old Testament survey, we've come to the last book of the Pentateuch. Word Pentateuch means five books. The Hebrews call this five books the Torah. You might see a one book, it says the Torah, five books, Deuteronomy. It's the Greek translation, which means second law. The word is two syllable word, Deuteros, Mamos, and you know Deuteros is, is second, Nomos is law. Um, this doesn't mean that there are two laws. What it means is that the law was repeated to the younger generation. And this is a principle in homes and in churches. The Bible is to be repeated to the younger generation. I made a statement this morning, our children don't love God, they don't love the word, they don't love church, because the fault lies at home with the parents. Um, that's where the fault is. Can't blame the children, you have to blame the parents. Um, systematically, we sat at our table with, every morning before school, devotion time. I used to give both Marcel and Dion homework, notes, Questions and answers. Let me see it the next day to see what you're absorbing. She can tell you that. Let me see what you absorbed from yesterday's devotion. We have to take time. If we want a Christian home and a Christian church, Miguel, we have to teach our children. We have to sacrifice. If we're saved, we'll do it. We, we ought to perpetuate the gospel. This is what God commanded them to do and teach them to your children, that they may teach them to their children's children. The church is lacking today because we immigrants come here for uh, to fulfill a dream. And we, 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 some of us got converted here, like I did, but when we are converted, a change must take place. And I hope you understand this, but this book is what I'll be doing the, you know, for the next few weeks. And I hope that we will pick up some things um, in, this, in this book. 
uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, fathers are commanded to teach this word to their children, that they can also do the same. God wanted his word to perpetuate in his people where the Messiah was coming. And it is not surprising that when the Lord came, he quoted from Deuteronomy three times when he was tempted by the devil. Three times. Apparently he knew this book. Somebody taught him this book, even though he was eternal God. The book chronicles Israel's journey in the wilderness. Second, there's a repeat of the law to the younger generation. And three, there's a renewal of the covenant, something like what we did this morning. The book concludes with the death of Moses. That's Deuteronomy. Now the same objective that we had in the survey of the other four books of Moses is the same objective we will undertake in Deuteronomy or any Old Testament book. Now Christ said to the Jews in John 5, 46 and 47, for had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Moses speak more frequently about Jesus Christ than anybody else. When the Lord began his ministry, we are told in John 1, 45, that Philip, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, how did Philip know that Moses and the prophets wrote about Jesus and many people don't know? How come? That they knew and many people in the church don't know. Very easy. You remember John 1.43? The day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find a Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Philip was lost. And he found Jesus. And he followed Jesus. These things are very important truths. He was commanded to follow the Lord, brethren, until these two great truths take place in our lives. The scriptures will be a closed book. You must find Christ. You must follow Christ. Um, these two basic fundamentals. Deuteronomy has many prophecies of Christ. The most popular may be the Deuteronomy 18, 15, and 16 passage that is distinctively messianic. It says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him you shall hearken. This is Moses saying this. He was talking about Christ. According to all that thou desiredest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, Sinai, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. God came down on Mount Sinai as a consuming fire. We're thankful that when he came to us, he didn't come as a consuming fire. He could have. Now these words shows the cohesive nature of scripture. It is true that the Lord Jesus was raised up among the Jewish people.
people as superior to Moses, who they should have heard. It is him that the Jews should have listened to. But this prophecy is for us today. The Lord, God has raised up among us Christ. It is him that we must hear. And that is why Hebrews 1, 1 can say that God in these last days are speaking to us by his son or through his son. The Lord Jesus is not in front of you standing up preaching. I am standing up in front of you preaching. And you should listen to what I say. If it is biblical or anyone else for that matter, you should listen because this is the means that God has provided for your salvation. What we normally do in our survey, for the benefit of you who might be doing surveys, is to take a section from a passage and make some general observations. Then we would draw a specific message from the text that I've shown you. I'll conclude with just a couple applications. Now the text that we will be considering, main text is six through eight. As Moses was recapping the wilderness sojourn, he began at Sinai, where God instructed him to move on, having spent a full year or more than a year, maybe a year and two months, if, if um, numbers, I remember numbers, at Mount Horeb, which became a place of comfort. Now, verses 1 and 2 is more or less like a synopsis or an introductory or a, a brief recap to the younger generation. Come with me. These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel on this side, Jordan, in the wilderness, in the plain over against the Red Sea between Paran and Tophel, and Laban, and Hezeroth, and Dizab, um, the words began, these words began the discourse Moses is about to make. Now up to this point in history, Israel had not advanced to Jordan, Brother Colin, not Jordan. It doesn't have an E in it. Jordan. Like, like Nigel's son. They were still at Sinai, at Horeb. And Sinai was a dreadful place. Verse 2 says, There are 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Sur unto Kadesh Barnea. Now, 11 days to Kadesh Barnea became, after they got there, a disaster. Verse 3, and it came to pass in the 40th year, and God is very specific, in the 11th month, it means that Moses have one more year to live. Something like Joshua. On the first day of the month that Moses spake unto the children of Israel, according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment unto them. The exact time, children. Are you guys back already? Yeah. 
The exact time is given when these words were spoken between verses 2 and verse 3, almost 39 years pass. I'm going to show you Bible in chronological one. We're spent going around Kaddish Barnia. 39 years almost. 38 years and 9 or 10 months. In the 40th year and 11th month, I said Moses' life is at an end, and this is why it was so expeditious for him to give this law, just like Joshua. Now, 40 is a significant time reference in the Bible. It is usually a number that signifies testing. Everybody knows that. Israel was in the wilderness 40 years. They failed the test. The flood waters were on the earth 40 days. Noah passed the test. Genesis 7, 17. Jesus fasted 40 days before he was tempted in the wilderness. He was triumphant in the test. Today, worshipers are warned in Psalm 95, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation. Notice how 40 years is called a day when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my word. 40 years long was I grieved, angry with this generation and said it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. God swore that they would not enter the promised land. You, you might say, well, you don't swear to harm people. God can because he will carry out his oath. Brethren, our hearts are very subtle, very subtle. Our hearts can become hardened toward the things of God. And the psalmist warned worshipers. Notice, Charlie, Psalm 95, the psalm that we read this morning, is a psalm of worship. The gathered congregation, when they come together, you say, hear this psalm read. And within that psalm, Moses said, Today, if you hear his heart, do not harden your hearts. As I was saying this morning, don't ever think that most of your congregation is safe. Otherwise, what's the point in this? What's the point in this exhortation? God is merciful to tell us, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Because he's speaking to us in the worship and in the proclamation, in the singing of the hymns, in the reading of scripture, in the preaching of the word. If you hear his voice, God can use a, a song, a hymn, to reach your heart more readily than he can use my words. He can use a hymn. And sometimes the word of God is no sooner preached than people rush out there talking all kind of nonsense. For they meditate on the word. 
Israel tempted God 40 years in the wilderness. Now, 40 years can be the duration of a person's life within a congregation because the congregation, this church is a testing arena, just like the Garden of Eden was, just like the wilderness was, Mabel. The church is a testing arena. And God warned us today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So in verses 1 through 3, there's an introduction to the discourse of Moses. But there's another point that I want to bring your attention to, and that is the conquering of the two heathen kings. Now, there are always victories whereby we can give thanks. There were two nations claimed by the two and a half tribes parted across into the Jordan. We talk about this a lot. And you see the importance of Old Testament history. You hear me keep talking about Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They, they conquered on the, that side of the Jordan. And here in verse 4 and 5 of Deuteronomy 1, after he had slain Shihon, the king of the Amorites, which dwell in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, which dwell in Astaroth of Edri, on this side, Jordan, in the land of Moab, began Moses to declare this law. We saw the time, 40-year period. Now we have the place, Shihon and Bashan, were Moabite cities. You know what happened there? When Balaam was looking for money and wanted to curse God's people, but God won't allow him to do it. You've read that, you know. But this is what Moses is reminding him of, of the victory over there. Moab resisted the children of Israel from a passage across to the promised land. They didn't want them to pass through their quarters. <clears throat> and in Numbers 21, I'll read it, verse 25 and 26. <coughs> and Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in the cities of the Amorites in Heshbron, and in all the villages thereof. For Heshbron was the city of Shihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab, taking all his land out of the hand of Arnon. The victories in the Christian life, by the way, doesn't come easy. We are to battle against sin in the church, in our lives. There is a battle. So we saw the introductory sojourn to the sojourn, 11 days journey to Kardish Barnea, but 38 and a half years between verses two and three. The question that you and I can ask in our survey as we move on, the question you can ask in the new year is where are you and me in our sojourn? In this life, are we stuck in a rut at Kardish Barnea? Now, I would I would challenge you if you have time to take your concordance and do a word study on the place Kardish Barnea. Go in your concordance and look every place it is mentioned. Kardish Barnea or Kardish. 
and do a study on this place and you would learn a whole lot. It was a place of doubt. It was a place of defeat. It was a place of death. Cornish Barnier. It's a lesson in itself, and I, I can't do it tonight. But we come to our last heading, but often I'm glad that you can come for this last point. Um, very glad you get back in a timely manner. The next few minutes you'll be on your way. The last heading I want to share is the, is, is the important, and it's our message, the tendency to be complacent. The tendency to be complacent, verses 6 through 8. Verse 6, the Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this month. I remember a long time ago, Brother Depot shared from this text. He probably forget, but I don't forget Jah. Any message I preach here, I remember. And some of you might have forgotten this. This was back when they were at Sinai, Horeb, and Sinai is the same place. Israel spent a year and two months at Horeb, same as Mount Sinai, where they received the law. They, they also made a golden calf at Sinai. They saw 3,000 slain in one day. When Moses said, who is on the Lord's side, come to me. But Sinai be, became a place of complacency. It was where the law was given. Numbers 10, 11, and 12. It was the exact timing of the Israelites' departure. And I read, And it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month, in the second year, here it is, that the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony. The 20th day of the second month, the second year after they came out of Egypt. A year and two months. And the children of Israel took their journeys out of the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran, where Moses spoke those words. And they first took their journey according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. The Lord has a way of making his people move. He makes them uncomfortable. Move the cloud. Yeah, move the light. When God wants you to move, you do that. You move the light. You move the cloud. You know what is the light. And if you're a place where there's no cloud, and where's the, there's no light, it is time to move. And I just speak metaphorically a word to the wise. You should pray that God don't move the light and the cloud. Because when I see that, I will move. I'm watching this church carefully. He has a way of moving his people by taking away the props. He took away the cloud and sent a blast of heat. It is all well and good to be at a place where we have the cloud of protection, the safety of our home, our church, 
where we are protected. But let not the place where the gospel is given become a comfortable place. I am worried. I said already, I would hate for this church to become a haven for sinners and unconverted people. I would like them to be uncomfortable in this church. That's what God did. It's all right to sit under the gospel, but the moment the gospel becomes comfortable to us, you might hear these words, you have dwelt long enough at this mount. There was a lot of activity at Sinai but activity without productivity is apostasy. There's much activity today in the church. But our God does not desire activity. He desires productivity. You should read between the lines. Verse 7 goes on. Turn you and take your journey. Go to the mount of the Amorites and unto all the places like thereunto, in the plain, in the hills, in the vale, and in the south, and by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, and unto Lebanon, unto the great river, river Euphrates, the borders. The mount of the Amorites was different than Sinai. It was where the battles were fought and won. You know the Amorites. Remember this morning, Joshua tells them, you can serve the gods on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. They had gods here. Same Amorites. It is where we meet the struggles and the conflicts of the ministry that we should face. We have some. I don't know if we are up to snuff. We have them in our own backyard. We must be ready for spiritual combat with the word of God. A lot of times we want to preach the word, this word, this book, but we don't want to apply it when it comes to conflict. Leave it for the pastor. He can handle it. His shoulders broad. But the pastor's sick. He ain't able. must be ready for spiritual combat. The things we see and experience in our church should give us cause to be more vigilant. You don't know what's coming next. And you hear me say this many times, but you don't believe me. You should stop being casual about the membership of the church and the ministry of the church, we have a war on our hands. Verse eight, behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. Now these verses refer to places that were real, in Israel, where they were to travel in conquering the territory of the enemy, which they did. 
They were to move from comfort to conflict. And, and we have a trend of complacency. If church leaders are laid back and satisfied with the state of growth and spiritual development of their church, we will remain a dead dormant people. If church leaders, church men, are complacent and satisfied with the mediocrity that we see here, we would have a dead church. It takes more than one man. We have a, a, a trend of being complacent. Moses said, you have dwelt long enough in this monk. The monk can mean anything, Pat. The monk can be right in here. The monk was a place of complacency. The pew. We're both. If you want me to bring it down. The next thing he said is turn you and take your journey. Turn. Our journey is not on a Greyhound bus, Louise. I hope you know that. But a walk of faith. But we must turn. So we are surveying Deuteronomy, our first book, first chapter. We begin with the introduction, Moses said. We saw the conquering of two nations. We saw a third head, which is our message. The trend to be complacent. What lessons can I draw from Israel's sojourn in our survey in Deuteronomy? Which mountain, which mountain have you found ease and comfort? Is it your house where you live? Mountains may provide shade, but they can become a place of complacency and can be obstacles to progress. Jesus tell us how we can get rid of those mountains. He said, for assuredly I say unto you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he says will be done, he will have whatsoever he says. Therefore I say unto you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe, that you receive them and you will have them. You see how Jesus turned and used the mountain as a figure of sin because he is doing the right exegesis of the scriptures. I copy from him. Whoever said that this mountain be removed, this obstacle, this sin pattern, He called us to pray. And some of you don't even want to have him pray. Because you might be a mountain yourself. I don't want to hear, I, I was getting up, but somebody get up. What you need to do is get up before them. 
Do like me. When the person praying, get up. So that when the next person look to see you standing up, to sit back down. You have a mountain. The problem is that we love our place of complacency. We love our station of unfaithfulness, a mediocrity. We are agitated by sound doctrine. We should appreciate the words of the psalmist. I think it's David, Psalm 141, verse 5, he said, let the, let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil. Which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. <clears throat> the righteous who smite us, of course, is the Lord Jesus. But he used men to smite us. With the word. Let the righteous smite me. And to smite somebody, it seems offensive. It's, it's a blow. It hurts. But people don't like the word. People don't like the church because what the church stands for. What the doctrine stands for. The constitution and bylaws of the City View Baptist Church, you should read sometimes. I, I was reading it this week. And if people that are members of this church will take time, I didn't write it. I just add, I just amended some parts of it because it gave the pastor too much clout. I incorporate the deacons. They would live to the standard that is set in their constitution. And I shouldn't have to say, if you don't come to prayer meeting, if you come to one service, you shouldn't take communion. It's there. And if a pastor cannot uphold the constitution, what, what, is, what is he doing? But more so, if he can't uphold the Bible, what is he doing? He should leave office. These verses that I just shared with you, brethren, are very powerful. Moses said, the Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mount. The question that is raised is, Which mountain have you found complacency? Is it the mountain of pride? Is it bitterness? People can circle around bitterness for four years. I was talking to somebody just recently. Four years. You said this four years ago. I still remember it. Terrible. You like to hold on to things long? Well, you need to move from this mountain. There is a remedy. Turn. Second thought. thought. Where is our journey taking us? The places mentioned in verse 7 were real places. But they bear a message. The Amorites are a general term for the Canaanites. 
the challenge in verse 7, turn you and take your journey and go to the Mount of the Amorites. Hardships. Now, if you are a person that have been hearing the same thing for 20 years and there's no spiritual change, no movement in your life, there is nothing wrong with the preacher. If you are being told the same thing over and over, it is not the preacher to blame or the Bible. And if it ain't the preacher, it has to be somebody else. You have been at this mountain long enough. Our journey is one of conflict, conflict and battle. And one of the greatest conflicts we have as Christians is with ourselves. That's a great Amorite self, Amalek self, conflict. Conflict when it comes to spending more quality moments with the Lord Jesus instead of hurry times. You know, when, when you are sick and your body is not well, I am sorry to say you cannot read your Bible in a meaningful way. Don't even try to be a hypocrite. Put it down. God ain't gonna bless that. Wait till you get better that you can focus. I had that the last two days. Now it is catch up time. Instead of reading three chapters, now I gotta read six. But I need to catch up. I have purpose in my heart, Charlie, to read through the Bible every year. God helped me again this year. I start over again. I told, I told the Lord, I don't know if I'm going to make it through. And that's why I say every year, I don't know if you're going to give me the right mind to make it through. But that has nothing to do with personal study. It has nothing to do with casual reading. Casual reading of the Bible is different than reading through the Bible. You still have to do casual reading. You still have to spot read, Charlie, certain texts for your own soul. So get used to these things. But quality time. Don't stay at that mountain. Your journey is one of conflict with yourself. We must move from our mountain of ease. Brethren, today we have come to a superior mount. We are told in Hebrews that we have come to a mount that cannot be touched. We have not come to a mount. Let me read it because as you can see, I am struggling. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 26. Let me read it to you. Verse 22. But you are come unto Mount Zion, not with a Z, with an S, the church, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, saints, that's the monk, 
believers and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speak of better things than that of Abel. You see how God have able to in Mount Zion to show you that God, God's people were saved from the foundation of the world. Abel, we are in company. See that you refuse not him that is speaking. For if they escape not who refuse him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that is speaking. The word speak of is italicized because it should be a present, a present verb that is speaking from heaven. But it goes on to say, whose voice then shook the earth. We have come to Mount Zion, the church of the living God, when we come here to the general assembly whose names are written in heaven. An innumerable amount of people watching down who have gone on, who have struggled, who had conflict, and no rest but cheering us on. I've been there. Come on. We're told not to refuse the voice that is speaking. For those in the past did not escape who refused. How shall we escape, brethren, if we turn away from the one speaking through his word? Therefore, you and I see the greatness of our Lord Jesus in comparison to Moses. Truly, Moses was faithful in all his house, but Christ as a son is faithful. Let us serve him with godly fear. May the Lord bless you this evening. Thank you for praying for me, praying with me. Let's pray. We thank you for your help, dear Heavenly Father, and we thankful for the prayers of your people throughout this day. And we know these things serve to aid us to minister your word. And we pray that we would have an understanding that if we are at a place of complacency, it is time to move on. Lord, we thank you for bringing Brother Offneil and the kids back uh, safely. We would hear from Brother Offneil and maybe one of the kids this coming Tuesday where they can share with us what transpired. We thank you for the blessed time they had. And we pray that they would remember these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.